Well, good morning and welcome to Hochmai and Coffee Live. I hope that you've had a good morning so far. I know it's bright and early over here on the West Coast, and I want to bring on our special guest, uh, my brother, Jonah Smith. Jonah, it's good to see you. How are you this morning? Doing good, doing good. Okay. Uh, oh, needed my coffee, but we're doing good. Yeah, right. That's that's why we call it Hochmein Coffee, because I think it mm-hmm. is a necessity. When we get up early and we're spending time with God, it's good to have some coffee there. Uh, and oh, yeah. so it's good to see you this morning. Uh, I do want to, again, say, if I, you see me looking down, I'm actually looking at Jonah. When I'm looking up here, I'm looking at you. And so it's good to see you this morning, Jonah. I do want to jump over to our little ad break here. As if you want to jump in and grab that Hochmai coffee background before we change it up and this one's gone forever, make sure there is a link in the description. You can get this for absolutely free. And and I have it on my phone right here. Oh, my hand's covering it, but I got it on my phone right there. I know a lot of you already have it on your phone, but if you haven't got it yet, make sure you click that in and get that for yourself. Also, our new mugs came out, and if you want to be a part of the cool mug club, make sure you go. There's a link in the description to get your own cool mug. Oh, man. Good morning. It's good to see you, uh, Sean. I, it's good to see you this morning. And, and also, if you want to, you guys can jump into the comment section below and chat with us during the live. That's one of the cool things about us going live is you can be a part of it and ask your questions. And I I do want to say, as we're about to get into the live, um, please, please, please be gracious. Okay, I I don't want (laughs) us to be a community of haters and people who, who are yelling at each other in the chat, especially about today. Today, we are covering something controversial, and uh, Jonah and I were talking about this just a moment ago, about we've read so many different commentaries, and we've listened to different things, and, and it's like everyone disagrees about this passage, and so we even disagree with some of the commentaries we're reading, and so if, if we disagree with you, we don't hate you, and we hope you don't hate us. We're going to give you kind of what we believe is here, and if 10 years down the road we disagree with ourselves, we'll tell you that uh, we'll go through it again, and we'll share with you our updated view. And so is that, does that sound fair, Jonah? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to be going through Hebrews 6. And so I'm going to go back over. Uh, good to see you. And I don't know if I pronounced your name right. Is it Yvonne or Yvonne? I hope I'm saying your name right, but it's good to see you this morning. And so we're in Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 this morning. And so we're going to read through Hebrews 6 together. Before I do, I do want to encourage you to uh, actually check out our newest video if you want to be a part of our biggest giveaway. I forgot to say that we're having our biggest giveaway ever. We're not just giving away a Bible. We're giving away so much more. But the details are in that video. And that's our, our last video. So check that out. But let's read through Hebrews 6 together this morning. And then we're going to walk through it together. And we're going to use the basic principles of Bible study to arrive at the interpretation of this passage, okay? And so let's jump into Hebrews 6, verse number 1. It says this, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of the laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, 
and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. And the things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. For when God made, uh, made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have for an as an acre of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Wow, oh my goodness. Okay, this is intense. This is deep. This this will be this will be a fun conversation. And so, man, oh, man. And, and OK, thank you. It's Yvonne. Yvonne. Awesome. Thank you for for giving me that. Uh, we'll make sure we say that correctly. But we are going to be jumping into. Oh, my goodness. Such an intense passage together. And so, again, I'm just just again. Grace warning. We need like some kind of slides like grace, 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 <laughs> give grace. OK, and so we're going to try to walk through this together with you and feel free if you have questions to put them below. Again, please make sure when you put the question, you put it in a kind way and we'll we'll do our best to chat together about this. But we're going to jump in the time machine and get back into the mindset. Again, context is everything. If you just take this chapter or even take verses out of this context, you can get very confused. You can come to false doctrines. And so we want to place this into the context of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who were tempted to go back. They were tempted to go back to Judaism. We talked about last time in chapter 5 that these Jewish people, they were wanting to go back to their old high priest because they could see him. And they were nervous if they didn't go back to their physical high priest that they wouldn't have forgiveness. They wouldn't have uh, salvation. And so we've got to keep that in mind. He's telling them, no, you need to be with Jesus because Jesus is our new high priest. And he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then in chapters 11 through, or verses 11 through 14, he rips into him saying, guys, 
I have so much more I want to show you. I want to go deeper, but you're still spiritual babies, right? And so he picks that thought up here in chapter 6, verse 1, saying, you guys are still babies. We should leave the basics and move on to perfection. Now, that word perfection has to do with completion, has to do with maturity. And so, Jonah, as we jump in here, are there any things you want to lay as a foundation before we jump in? Or is there any thoughts you want to give us as we jump in um, that you're thinking about right off the bat? Um, no, just as we get started into this chapter, we have to remember that he ends chapter five and he starts chapter six with the same thought. Um, we are, we are now trying to move from the rudiments to the more, to the meat, I guess you could call it. Um, we're, we're done talking about the things that you should already know. You not only should you know it, you should be able to teach others these things, but you still needing the milk, uh, as verse 13 and verse five says for everyone that uses, uses milk is unskillful in the word. For he is a, a babe, but strong meat belongs to them that are full of age. You should be teachers. You still need to use milk. This is insane. But we've got to keep moving forward. Um, and we're going to see why he says that as we move on to, into chapter six. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And I, I think we do need to recognize that I'm just highlighting this word here. These chapter markers weren't in the original, okay? So we've got to realize whoever penned Hebrews wasn't like, all right, now I'm going to chapter six, as we might do nowadays when we're writing a work. These chapters were put in afterwards. So this is one thought. This is one thought. And sometimes chapter markers are nice. Sometimes they can be a hindrance. And I think here it could be a hindrance if we don't recognize this is a flow of thought happening here. This is one thought. And that's why he's saying, therefore, because of what I've already said, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now, again, we only have what 45 minutes left. And so we can't dive deep into everything, but we're going to do our best. And so he says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. He's not saying leaving Jesus behind. That's not what he's saying. Uh, Jonah, you gave a good illustration about this in our last video about math and about how you expected them to leave basically two plus two behind but you weren't saying they should forget it or they should disbelieve it right no so what's the thought process yeah even i mean i'm teaching pre-calculus today and um oh it's a doozy i mean we got some things that hurt even my brain as we start (laughs) um this class this morning but if I start class and we start teaching uh, some of these hard concepts and one of my students raises their hand and say, um, I'm not sure how you got that six on the board. Like, what are you talking about? I just did the four plus two. Well, how'd you do that? Uh, what's, what's, how do you do four plus two? Uh, and then we're going to have a problem. I said, Big problem. we're in pre-calculus. If you don't know how to do uh, four plus two equals six, you shouldn't be in pre-calculus. We cannot waste our time doing these rudimentary kinds of uh, yeah. concepts because we are so far past that. You should be able to teach other people how to do four plus six if you're in pre-calculus. Um, and so yeah, I think this sure. is the idea here in Hebrews chapter five and six. He says, you guys should be able to teach. By now, you should be able to teach these rudiments or these principles of the doctrine of Christ uh, but you're, you're not where you ought to be. It's just crazy. Yeah. And so that's key. And, and that really sums up 
verses one and two. We could go deep into each of these things, which we're not doing this morning. I think we will we will get bogged down in, chap- in verses one and two if we went through each of these things that he's telling them to leave behind. And again, he's not saying to forsake. Like Jonah's not saying forsake two plus two. He's saying, we don't have time to dive back into this. You should already have a mastery of these concepts. And so we're moving, or we need to move on to perfection. And that word perfection is the word for completion, maturity. Let's move from the immature baby state to maturity. And so that's, that's verses one and two. And he says, and this will we do if God permit. We want to move on to perfection. We want to move forward if God will allow us to, okay? And so that's, that's the beginning. He's saying, let's stop with the baby stuff and let's move into Christian maturity. And that should be a challenge to us all. We live in a day and age when many Christians are content to stay babies. And they're even thinking they are mature. And they think that because they go to church, you know, uh, once or twice or three times a week, that that makes them a mature Christian, yet they don't know the richness of God and they don't have those things. And so I'd encourage all of us, myself included, let's not be content where we are. But there's that old song that says, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. And that's, that should be our Christian life is I'm not content where I am. I'm thankful for where God's brought me, but I'm looking upward. I'm moving on to perfection. Lord, take me on to higher ground. And so that's verses one, two, and three. Now we get into the controversial section, okay? And so let's read verse four. He says this, for it is impossible. That's a strong word, friends. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Okay, so let's just stop there before we move on to the rest. That's, that's, a, that's a very intriguing two verses. This is where a lot of the controversy comes in. It really is. And, and good morning, uh, Miss Jeannie. Uh, now I don't, I don't know if it's Jeannie Lisa, if that's your name or if that's your tag or whatever, but it's good to see you this morning. Welcome. Uh, again, we're diving into some difficult territory here, so be gracious, be gracious. As we look here, okay, there's disagreement among many different commentators and scholars about these two verses. Some will take the position that these were false believers, that they weren't real Christians, but that they looked like Christians and then left Jesus, which would be kind of, is that 1 John where he talks about they went away from us because they weren't of us? Maybe it's not 1 John. Um, maybe it's, it's one of the Johns or one of the Jameses and says, that they left us because they were never of us. And that's kind of the way people take this text is they say, well, these were just false believers um, who, who went away. First John. Is that first John? Yeah, and two nineteen. First John two nineteen. That, and that's, that, you can look that up on your own, but a lot of people will take this text to mean that, that basically these fallers awayers, <laughs> they were just never saved in the first place. But can we take that stand? Textually, and that's as as Bible students, we need to look at the text and make sure we're taking the text where it is. Okay, and so as I'm looking at this, I see the word "tasted," and it says "tasted of the heavenly gift." 
Some people want to take that and say that just means they sampled it. They, they had a small little, you know, savor of it, but they never got the fullness. And, then, and I was just reading a commentary this morning that made that argument that they didn't take it into the full. But then we have a problem because later on he says that Jesus, the same word, tasted death for every man. And so if we want to say this tasted is just a sample, then we say that Jesus didn't really fully experience death for every man. He just kind of sampled death for every man. So we run into problems there, okay? We run into problems there. And so I am of the persuasion, and John, I'll let you talk about this right after I say my persuasion. It seems to me by all of the implications of verses 5 and verses 6 that these were believers, It seems to me that they had tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That's that's another interesting phrase. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I'm just trying to look here. Yeah, partakers. It's it's a fellow worker, a companion. I mean, I mean, I, I just don't. And they tasted the good word of God, and they tasted the powers of the world to come. Like, ah, holy smokes. I'm of the persuasion these are believers. What do you think, Jonah? I, again, saying the same disclaimer that you said many times already, uh, just as we may not agree with commentators uh, that we read, we may look back at what we're saying today and may not agree with ourselves. Um, So I'm just putting that out there. Grace, grace, grace. Give grace. (laughs) Yes. Um, I just have to interpret scripture by comparing scripture with scripture. Mm. And so I don't see how someone, and I know there's arguments and all that. I just, from the Bible study that I've studied throughout the uh, several last several years, um, I don't see how you can believe you can lose your salvation. So I believe in eternal security and I need to put that out there. There might be someone watching who doesn't believe in eternal security that you can be saved once and then you can lose your salvation. I don't, I don't hold to that belief. Um, So from studying all that, you do have to ask yourself, is this talking about those who are saved? I do believe it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear. Um, how can you taste of the heavenly gift? I mean, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, I'm not sure what other kind of heavenly gift. I know there are gifts that uh, we are given by the Holy Spirit and all that. So it may be talking about something like that. But, but the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but these people have tasted of the heavenly gift. You have to ask yourself, what is that? gift. And we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. We know by the doctrine of the New Testament, the moment you're saved, you are indwelt by the Holy Ghost. And so just, I mean, move on to verse five and a taste of the good word of God. I guess someone could maybe not be saved if they taste the good word of God. You can hear the good news. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. But then the powers of the world. I mean, just so many things in these verses. You, I don't see how come away and not think that these people are saved, but then you might, you're going to get hairy as we're about to get into these (laughs) next few verses. 
okay, if they are saved, what are the next few verses saying? And that's so. what we got to that's what we got to do. And so we want to be honest with the text. And again, I also believe in the uh, security of the believer. And and one good hermeneutical practice for all of us to take away is you let the clear scripture interpret unclear scripture. You don't take the unclear scripture and be like, "Oh, I'm going to use this as my foundation." You let where the places where the Bible's just clear and obvious interpret the other ones. And so what we're saying is through the entire Bible the the overwhelming evidence is for security for security but let's look at this next verse so we we have just established that we from our study right now it appears to us that these are believers based on what the text is saying so let's move on to the next verse and we'll see how this jives oh that's a weird word but let's see how it jives okay here we go it says here if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Okay, so here we have this interesting phrase, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. All right, so let's dive into this section here. This is a really interesting section. But as we look here, I think we have to take this into context even here with this chapter six so let's look at fall away and we're thinking about hebrews they were tempted to return to judaism they were tempted to return back to the old ways and he says if you go back it's impossible to renew them again to repentance now in context what is this repentance if we look at chapter six verse one he says the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards god and so I think this repentance is salvation. This is my this is my interpretation of what I'm seeing here in context. This is not saying just repentance in general, although I'll talk about that that view in a second. And so what I believe he's saying here, and you guys can disagree with me, but what I believe he's saying here is if you leave and you go back to Judaism, you can't be re-saved. You can't be re-saved because if you are saved, you are saved. There's no re-salvation. So if you leave Jesus, you, you're, you're still saved. You can't be re-saved. You can't be renewed. You can't leave Judaism again to be saved again. And it's hard for me to put into words what he's trying to say here. But from my point of view is if you go back to Judaism, don't think you can be re-saved. You didn't lose it. You can't be renewed to repentance because you are saved. You can't crucify Jesus again. And that's why he said you'd have to crucify him again. Because you are saved. And if you wanted to get re-saved, you'd have to crucify Jesus another time and put him to open shame. And so that's, that's where I stand with verse number six. Is you can't, if you leave, you can't be re-saved. It's an impossibility. You are already saved. Okay, so that's my initial take, Joan. I want to toss it over to you. What are your thoughts? I... This is this is a this is probably the hardest probably verse in this chapter. Oh yeah. Um, but I I would tend to agree. And I I was trying to think of an illustration, and I think in every illustration I'm thinking of breaks down. This is the only thing I can think of though that may help in our brain. Um, a child and a father. You can run away. You can do something horrendous to your father or whatever. But you will never 
you can't do anything to become his son again. You're no, you're his son. You, there's nothing you can do to make that blood relationship different. And so I think this is what they're this penman saying. It's I mean, the entire thought starting in verse four, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, go right to verse six. It's impossible for them to renew them again unto repentance. That's the idea. And then it's the verses four and five are just describing those people uh, who they're talking about. So it's impossible for all these people who have tasted all these things to renew them again unto repentance or for them to be renewed uh, again unto repentance. And so if we are talking about saved people, and we have interpreted the very clear portions of scripture that say, yeah, there's no man can pluck you out of the father's hand that uh, you didn't do anything for your salvation. So there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Uh, if you simply read all the clear passages in scripture that you can't lose your salvation, I, I don't know any other way you can interpret verse six, that if you are saved and you fall away, you're still a child of God. You cannot renew. You can't. You can't get saved again because you're already saved. And so yeah. it's a it's a treat. And like I said, I didn't read anyone who took that position. Uh, and so those watching, you can go study this out. And you read Please if you read do. commentaries like, man, uh, these guys are not saying what everyone else is saying. Uh, there's I, I'm I'm sure there are people who are saying something similar to us. I just haven't read them. Um, yeah, but and it's not police. very common. What he just said is true. You need to be Bereans. You need to go and you need to study this out on your own. We're throwing out what we've studied. You need to study this out on your own. I mean, if the Bereans would double check Paul, <laughs> you should definitely double check us and do your own study. Uh, but I want us to turn it over and I want us to look at a different, a different view of repentance. Okay. But still not looking at losing your salvation. Uh, I, I have us over here at the end of Hebrews where he talks about chastisement, which is a major theme, which we're going to talk about in a second, chastisement. And then he goes down in chapter 12 after talking about chastisement, and he looks at Esau. Esau, and he says that Esau, he sold his birthright, and he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And he uses Esau as this this picture of, hey, you can give a something up that you can never get back. You can give something up that you can never get back. And, and, and with Esau, it was something in this life that he gave up that he was never able to get back. And so if we take that view of repentance, there are things in life that you can give up by leaving Jesus that you can never get back. And I think I think he's going to dive into that in these next verses. If we look here, I want us to use that as kind of a segue as we jump into chapters or verses seven and eight. He says this, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is, I have this word in a different color, 
nigh unto cursing. He doesn't say and is cursed and is going to hell, whose end is to be burned. All right, so let's jump into these two verses because it's a flow of thought. If you've looked at any of our other Bible study videos, you have to realize each verse connects to the verse before it. He's building a thought here. And so he's, he's trying to give an illustration with verses seven and eight. And the illustration is of this earth that brings forth good fruit. And this could, this could bring back so many images in your mind, like Psalm one, right? That there is this good tree that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also doesn't wither. He says that there are those type. And it says that that receives the next word is key blessing from God. The ones that bring forth herbs meet for them by whom it's dressed. It brings forth good fruit to the dresser, which is if you bring up John 15, who's the husbandman? God is the husbandman. God is cultivating you and you're bringing forth good fruit from, from Jesus. He says it receives blessing from God. It's like, yes, this is the way you're supposed to live. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So he's saying that if you are supposed to be bringing forth good fruit, but instead you're bringing forth thorns and briars, he says, you're not, you're rejected. You're not, you are nigh unto cursing. And the end of those things is to be burned. Now, this is where we can drive into some from sticky territory. Remember, this is an illustration that would have been very vivid to those listeners. That's not as vivid to us. And so we have the danger of thinking that if he says burned, immediately, guess where our minds jump? And I think your mind probably jumped there because mine did. We think hell immediately. It's like burned. Oh, he's talking about if if you bear thorns and briars, you will be got thrown into hell. And I don't believe that's what he's saying here. I believe that this is an illustration of those who bring forth good fruit and those who don't bring forth fruit. And he's trying to show them that what you do with the natural things is one of them is rejected. One of them doesn't, doesn't get the blessing of God. One of them doesn't get the good things of God. You lose out on the blessing of God by not bringing forth fruit. And the end of those things is just worthless. It is just, it goes away. And you can think about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when he talks about that wood, hay, and stubble, he talks about if you live your life for worthless things, it's worthless. It's worthless. It just burns up in the end. And so I think that's what we're seeing here is that if you live back in Judaism, you have no none of the things of the blessing of God. None of the blessing. Instead, you are nigh unto cursing, and the end of that is to be burned. That's just it's just Hevel, it's, it's, it's Ecclesiastes, it's just smoke in the wind, it's worthless. And, and I, he goes on, and so I'm going to pause because he builds on what I'm thinking in, chapter, in verses 9 through uh, 12, but I want to turn it over to you, Jonah, to give some commentary on these two verses. What are your thoughts? Uh, verse 7 is pretty, obviously, the one who's doing the right thing receiveth blessing from God. Uh, but obviously, just like you were saying in verse 8, the first thing that came to my mind uh, was the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter five. Uh, I, I see the same kind of connotation. I don't believe they're exactly the same, but I see these people in verse eight in chapter six of Hebrews. Um, yeah, they're they're bearing, they're producing these thorns and briars, and they're being rejected. Uh, and God is not happy with a believer 
who is not, uh, you can almost see it in this passage, verse six, who's saying, man, you are putting him, Christ, to an open shame. When you're not living like a believer ought to live, God cannot be happy. Um, he, you're dragging his name through the dirt. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew chapter five, verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. It's worthless, uh, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And so I see a very clear correlation. Those who are saved, those who are supposed to be living a certain way, it's it's painful for God to see. You're, you're not acting like you ought to act. You're producing the wrong fruit. And in this case, the Jews, you're going back to your old selves, your old works, your Judaism. Uh, this isn't, man, I am not happy with a child of God who is not acting like it. And I can't use you. You're, you're making my name look bad in the eyes of the unbelievers. You're good for nothing. I can't do anything with you. You're nigh into cursing. And it's just worthless for you to say you're a believer if you're going to live that way. And I, I think that's, that's a great thing, that the salt of the earth. And it's amazing how strong that challenge is. It says, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And it's kind of that same thought, like, it's just, you're, you're still salt, but you're useless salt. And you can't be re-salted. It's like, yeah. It's like you blew it. You blew what God wanted to do with you on this earth. And, and, and it's amazing, though. I think we have to continue to take scripture with scripture. So if you're like, oh, no, that's me. I blew it. God can't use me again. Think about Revelation 3. He talks about the lukewarm. He talks about the lukewarm. And we see a similar thought process that they're going to be cast out. And he says, I'm going to spew you. I'm going to vomit you away from me. It's that you are rejected. It's like disgusting. But then he goes on and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. Which shows there is a road back. But the road back is not through effort. It's not through struggle. It's through opening, the, it's receiving Jesus, opening it up. And it's not salvation, Jesus. We'll have to talk about more about that another time. But there is a road back if you feel like, 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 like you've gone too far. Okay, But this warning is, Guys, there is a path that is disgusting, that is dangerous, that you should not want. And he uses two words, blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing. Again, friends, these are very key words to the Hebrews. And I think right now it might be coming back to your mind. Blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing. I have these highlighted. Receiveth blessing, nigh unto cursing. If you are a Bible student, no doubt what came to your mind is Abraham. As you read that blessing and cursing, yeah. Jesus, God told Abraham that those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. We see with Moses the blessing and cursings that choose life. You know, on one hand, he had, you know, Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing. On the other, Mount Ebal, the mountain of cursing. And, and they had the blessings if you did what he wanted and the cursings if you didn't do what he wanted. And, and all of these things are uploading in their minds, which should be. And it should be in us as well as we study this. And so he brings them back. We're going to get to Abraham in verse number 13. But we'll look at verse 9. Look at what he says. But beloved, oh, before I read this, I see somebody made a, a good comment here. It says, in farming, sometimes they burn off the land to start over. It's like, yep, we are purging that old self. We're going for it. I love that thought. That's a cool thought. I don't have time to dive into it, but I, that's a cool thought to just throw out there. But look at verse number 9. It says this, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Like, 
We don't, we don't think verse 8 is you. And that's a cool thing. He says, although you're immature, you haven't returned back and were persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. He's like, I believe you're going to get the things that accompany salvation. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. He's like, I already see the evidence and the fruit of your salvation. We want you to give diligence to move forward. That's again, picking up verse one. Let's go on to perfection. Give diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. Don't be slothful, verse 12, that you be not slothful, and I love for this, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Oh, what, what a beautiful thing. This is an allusion to something we're going to talk about in a few weeks. Jonah, what, what do you feel this is an allusion to here? Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. I think it alludes to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 names several um, people who by faith acted in accordance to God's word and God, God used them in a mighty way. I mean, Abraham. Noah, Enoch, um, uh, all these. And then even at the end of the chapter mentions even people that they said, we could, we could keep listing so many people. We just don't, we don't have the time. Um, but they describe other people, some people who were able to subdue these things. And there are other people who had to suffer and all this. And so, yeah, we see specific people, but there's a whole group of people that they don't even name by name specifically. But it's that cloud of witnesses yeah. who have gone yeah. before us. Um I love that because so. he's going to build on that later. And we'll probably, when we get there, refer back to here. But he says, be followers of them who through faith, and that's, we call that the hall of faith, and patience, endurance, inherit the promise. I want to, I wish we could take more time. I'm looking at our time. We've got about 15 minutes left, so we can't dive into this passage really, really. It's delicious. But I encourage you to, to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and look at this, and, and 12 even, as he talks about the cloud of witnesses. And he says, guys, be followers of them. And I don't think he's just talking about them. He's talking about others who they have seen maybe even personally through faith and patience inherit the promises. But this is a, a delicious, a delicious verse. But he says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing. Again, we're saying the word, I will bless thee and multiplying. I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently, again, we see that word endured, he obtained the promise. Okay, I want us to look at this word patiently because it's the second time we've seen it here again. Patient, patient. Why, why would he want them to be patient? And, and in our mind, we think of patience as waiting in line, you know, at, at the DMV and, and, you know, we need patience. Patience is that, but it's also that endurance. And so what comes to your mind? Why, why would they need patience in their context, Jonah? Um, well, the very first thing that I just thought of uh, was in James chapter one, uh, it says, my brethren counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this mm. is the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect or complete work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And so I actually do think that goes pretty hand in hand 
with what the idea of this entire chapter is about going on to maturity. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire uh, lacking or wanting uh, nothing. So, I mean, these Abraham didn't have an easy life. None of those people in Hebrews 11 had an easy life, but they just yeah. says, I have belief in God's word. He promised me this. He promised me that I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to obey his word. And we see that through that patience, they became mature. Like this penman is saying, we ought to be mature. But yeah, they got to inherit the promise. Um, yeah. He got to see his son Isaac um, that God promised him. And so many other things that God promised. Hey, I didn't know how it was all going to work out. I was getting old. I wasn't sure how it was going to uh, work out. <laughs> Uh, but God, he, he came through on his promise. And we're going to see that God's promises, <laughs> you can count you on can them. Count on them. And, and I love that word patience because, again, the theme of Hebrews is don't go back. Jesus is better. And so he's showing them over and over again, those who were patient. They endured. They didn't give up. They didn't go away from God. I mean, Abraham could have left God. He could have been like, you know what? This is too much. This is too crazy. I'm done with you, God. I'm going to go my own way. But he was patient. He he just stayed with God. And he says the same thing with these others is they could have left, but instead they were patient. And because they just were patient and they stayed with God, even though they couldn't see it immediately, they, they inherited the promises that God wanted to give them. And one of them was Isaac. We see that uh, he had to be patient. I mean, God gave him that promise and then it took years for Isaac. And maybe you're thinking, well, what about Hagar and them? I know there was a time of impatience. I'm thankful he didn't leave God and that God didn't leave him. I mean, that's another good, good picture there. God told him, no, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And one day through his patience, finally God gave him Isaac. And so there was this patience and he's trying to encourage these Hebrews. Guys, be like Abraham, be like these others. Don't leave Jesus Stay with him. And I love this. He says, uh, for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them, to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things and that which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have, I love this, strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which is entered into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, <laughs> these verses, is, they're so dense with allusions to different Hebrew things. And so if you are not saturated in the Old Testament, you're going to miss so much here. And because we only have 13 minutes left, we're not going to be able to dive into everything here. Jonah and I, when we were yesterday, we like to just hash out a little bit before we go live with this. Um, we were we were spending so much time on just these verses because there's so much here. But I just want to give us a little sample here. We see that God, there's nothing that God could swear by that was greater than himself. He had to swear by himself. And it's the end of all strife. There's the end of all contention. He says here that by two immutable things. Now, Jonah and I, we were talking yesterday. And I'm like, I don't get this verse. I told him, like, it doesn't make sense. He says, by two immutable things and that it's impossible for God to lie. And so I was telling him, I was like, man, it says two. And then he just gives us one. I'm like, what's going on here? Did he forget to add the second thing? And Jonah's like, you know what? I heard somebody explained it this way. And so I want to turn it over to you, Jonah. Uh, what was the way that you heard 
people or somebody explain it to you? Uh, yeah, so this, it was actually during my college years. And when they explained it, it was like a light bulb moment. I thought that was, that's pretty cool. It, I think, and I could be wrong again. I, I tried to even last night go back and study it even further. Uh, I just, Yesterday was a long day. I didn't even get home till around seven. And then I still had hours of pre-calculus prep to do and all that. And so it was late last night and my brain was fried. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 15, now we can see that God is really um, solidifying the Abrahamic covenant. And I've been told, and I'd obviously I would encourage you to do your research as I'll do my research as well. But this is just an idea of what um, this and these two immutable things is referring to. Uh, I've been told that during uh, a covenant or an oath between two parties in this uh, an Old Testament context, uh, that there would be certain things like I think starting in verse 10 or verse five, verse 9. Uh, God is telling Abraham, hey, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a pigeon and divide them in the midst and lay each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not and all these things. And so they would divide these animals and then the two parties would walk through them. But then we see that in verse 12 that um, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and a great darkness fell upon him. And then while he's sleeping, verse uh, 17 it says, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace, there's one, and a burning lamp, two, that passed between those pieces. Usually the two parties walk between the pieces of these, uh, solidifying the covenant between these two parties. But God says, I'm going to put Abraham to sleep. He, he, he can't be part of this covenant because man is flawed. Many people can break their promises. So I'm going to make sure that this covenant is never going to be broken. Yeah. Myself, it's going to be the two parties. It's impossible for me to lie. So I'm going to send this smoking furnace and this burning lamp through where one of them should have been Abraham and one of them should have been me. I'm going to be both parties. And yes. so this covenant is unbreakable. Oh, okay. So it, that, that is so good. If you did not just like shout hallelujah in your heart, I don't know what will make you shout hallelujah. Look at this. It should have been Abraham and God, it just according to normal covenants. But God said, by two immutable things, because it's impossible for me to lie, he confirms it. Smoking furnace, burning lamp. And, and so that was a, a beautiful thing. I don't know if that's exactly what it is saying. We are, oh, we're going back and forth here. But that's, that is a beautiful, a beautiful way to think about this because he's, he's literally referring back to that, that day in this passage. He says that, it's Abraham. He's making an oath. And he says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. God brought up both parties, Abraham's side and his side. And in Jesus, God took our side and he fulfilled it and he was good. And so friends, this is, it's so rich. Thanks for explaining that, Jonah. By two immutable things, it's impossible for God to lie. Salvation and, and, and the Abrahamic covenant don't have to do with our effort. They have to do with 
God, God. And let's keep going on. He says, we might have strong consolation. And here's another illusion who have fled for refuge. Here's one illusion. If you've read in your Old Testament, you know, there are these cities of refuge that you could flee to that the manslayer could not touch you as long as you were inside. When you were inside, death couldn't touch you. And he says, we fled to Jesus for refuge and to lay hold upon the hope set before us. There are also, and this is my belief, there are also references in the Old Testament of those who would flee to the altar. Do you remember those stories, Jonah? And they would lay hold on the altar and they would hold on to it, hope, hoping that by holding on to the altar, they would have mercy. And so he's like, no, we laid hold on this hope that is set before us. And this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. Again, God is our rock. He is sure and steadfast. More illusions of the Psalms and things would be coming to their minds that Jesus is that rock. Jesus and salvation, you don't have to worry. It's sure and steadfast. And he says, and which entereth into that within the veil. Another Hebrew illusion that I'm sure you probably got in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place that only the high priest once a year could enter. And I love this. He says, our hope enters into the veil. It enters into the very presence of God, whither the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus. And again, he brings it back to chapter number five, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says, you don't have to worry that, that you don't need to go back to the old high priest system. No, 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 no. You have a strong consolation. You have refuge. You have a sure, steadfast anchor that is within the veil. Jesus, don't leave Jesus. He is a better high priest. And then he talks about Melchizedek, which we'll have to talk about next time. Uh, but well, any additions there that you want to say? I mean, that's just so rich. I just want to stay here for, for an hour just talking about everything here. But what, what are you looking at here that you want to leave the listener with today? I think uh, it's at the very end of this chapter, again, talking about um, the covenant God made, the promise he made to us is... You will have eternal life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. You'll have that eternal life, according to John 3.16, Romans 6.23. But it's not up to us. It is only up to God. And so we can always go back to just rest assured, if God says we're going to be saved and that we'll have eternal life, we will have eternal life, according to his word. It's He cannot lie. And then the last thing, he just goes full circle, uh, just as the end of chapter four says that we have a high priest. He comes back and say, Jesus, when he was on the cross, that veil, it tore, it ripped into. And then he, after he resurrected from the dead and he made his appearances, he is now in the presence of God. He is our Mm -hmm. forerunner. He went to God so that we can have access to God too. Um, He is our high priest and our mediator between God and man. So it's just an encouragement. Yeah. And and I mean, I think it's all of Hebrews. You can just see interconnects with itself. It is interconnects with itself. I mean, allusions back to Hebrews four. I think it's Hebrews four when he says we can come boldly 
We can come boldly into the presence because we have that forerunner who's gone in before us. I mean, it's just, it's so rich. And so friend, I, I want us to leave here. We've only got a couple minutes left with two things. First, the challenge. Two times in the New Testament, the Bible tells us to make sure we are saved. To make sure we are saved. Friend, we see this and we believe that you cannot be unsaved. You can't, okay, that's, you cannot be taken out of salvation. And because you can't be taken out of salvation, you cannot be resaved. But that doesn't mean that just because you think you're saved, you are saved. And that's a clear teaching of the New Testament. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know what? He said that basically I can't lose my salvation. I remember I said these words once. And so I know I'm saved. Even though my life is only producing thorns and briars, I'm okay. I'm just going to keep living in sin. I'm going to keep going my own direction. Woohoo! I'm so thankful. I want to encourage you, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. If you are only producing thorns and briars, I will be completely honest with you. There is no truly saved Christian who will only produce thorns and briars. That's not, that's not something. And so if you're here today and that's all you're producing in life, don't take assurance thinking, well, I said these words once. That means I'm good. Friend, please examine yourself. Make sure you are in the faith. Make sure you have full proof of your salvation. Do not just rest in in this text saying, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Make sure you know what it means to be saved. The second thing is this, if you are saved and you know you're saved, be incredibly encouraged. You can't lose that because the beautiful thing is if we are in Christ, we are new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The Bible says we have eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither is any man able to pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. And so friend, if you are truly saved, you can't lose it. You cannot lose it. You have a strong consolation. You have a rock that you can rest on. Let's go on to maturity. Let's go on serving Jesus. Let's not leave him behind, but let him be the focus, the focus of our life. And so I think that's a good conclusion here to chapter number six. Thank you guys for being in the comments. I know we haven't been talking too much in the comments. I want to look through here. I see we have Michael. Good to see you, Michael. We got Brother Lewis. Good to see you, Brother Lewis. We've got uh, the Iceman here. No blessing, no fruit. He talks about uh, patience to endure, being patient under all circumstances. So we've got some good comments rolling in. Uh, So good to see all of you. I hope you all have a great morning. Uh, Jonah, thanks for coming on with us this bright and early morning. Enjoy. uh, Enjoy the. uh, Oh, and Sean, good to see you. Uh, Enjoy pre-calculus this morning. I'm thankful I don't have Mm. to do pre-calculus, but we'll talk to you later. And everybody else, I hope you have a great morning, a great day. Rest in Jesus. Love Jesus. And let's all go on to perfection.